At Baptist Health South Florida, it's our mission to care for you when you're injured or sick and help you stay healthy and fit. Welcome to the Baptist Health Talk podcast, where our respected experts bring you timely, practical health and wellness information to improve your family's quality of life. Welcome Baptist Health Talk podcast listeners. I'm your host, Dr. Jonathan Fialco. I'm a preventative cardiologist and lipidologist at Miami Cardiac and Vascular Institute, where I'm also chief of cardiology at Baptist Hospital and the chief population health officer at Baptist Health. Thanks to the internet, answers to almost any question are available with a few clicks and a mouse, including questions about health concerns. Millions of people turn to search engines like Google to look up information about symptoms, diseases, and medications. There are a lot of dangers when it comes to using Dr. Google as your main source of medical advice, but that's a topic for another episode. What search engine statistics do tell us is what's at the top of people's minds. So in a recent episode of Baptist Health's Resource Live program, we took a list of top-searched health questions and brought together experts from the Baptist Health family to give us the facts. My guests on the program were Michael Dukoski, Assistant Vice President of Pharmacy Administration at Baptist Health, Dr. Katie Aquino, Medical Director of Baptist Urgent Care Express in Palm Beach, and Dr. Leanna Barkan, an internal medicine physician. Let's hear what they had to say. Liana, one of the top search questions has to do with something a lot of people suffer from, and that's hypertension, keeping our blood pressure levels in check. For those who suffer from high blood pressure or who are interested in managing it, what would you say is the best way to lower your blood pressure? Well, if you're on medication for blood pressure, I would definitely suggest taking your blood pressure medicine, that's for sure. Um, to eat healthy and regular exercise and to keep your BMI within normal limits, uh, you know, and just in general, eating a healthy, moderate diet is very important. Isn't, isn't that kind of the common denominator for everything? We tend to individualize about the disease states, but it's as you just said, exercise, keep your weight under control, eat healthy foods. Um, well, well said. What about, what about sleep? I know we've, we've had previous um, um, resources uh, programs about sleep. Well, it's actually extremely important because if you're sleep deprived, the rest of your health is uh, invariably impacted. If you don't sleep well, you don't tend to eat as well. If you're not eating as well, you're feeling more tired and it's hard to maintain a healthy lifestyle. But even independent of how you function, sleep in and of itself is a restorative process. So it's important to sleep well so that the rest of your bodily functions are, are working at their optimum. It's all part of the process. It's a holistic picture. You have to look at every component. It's not just, you know, you take your medicine and then you don't do anything else or you eat well, but then you don't do anything else. It has to be a comprehensive holistic picture. Can I, can I weigh in on that for just a moment? You know, uh, working in, in pharmacy, um, we see so many patients who irregularly take their medications. And, um, you know, just like you're both saying, uh, it's so important to uh, consistently not have gaps with uh, taking medications. So uh, we encourage patients to have a good routine about when they're going to pick up their refills for their medications, make sure that they always have enough refills on hand for any vacations or, or things like that that they might be taking. And also, if you're not able to afford your medication, don't let that be the barrier to stop you from taking it regularly because there are lots of medications and also a lot of resources to help get uh, discounts on medications available. So if you can't afford your medication, I just want to say that it's so important to talk with your doctor about alternatives that can help keep your blood pressure, for instance, under control, but also allow you to you know, afford the medication. 
I appreciate that, Michael. We work together on quite a lot of initiatives to get people their medications for under those very concerns. Pick them up, help getting them delivered, help if there's an affordability issue. Um, um, and uh, again, we want people to make sure that they speak with their doctors if they have trouble filling their prescriptions for whatever reasons. Um, Katie, another one, um, certainly as the, 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 the preventative cardiologist, um, uh, another frequently searched question has to do with cholesterol levels. Um, what can people do to lower their cholesterol, assuming that there's someone who should lower their cholesterol? Yeah, sure. I mean, so the, the, the big deal with this is that there's modifiable and unmodifiable things. So you can't help what you're born into. So we're not going to get into that whole story. But as far as modifiable things, so there are some lifestyle things such as um, what we eat and um, just managing certain aspects. So a little bit of getting into what we eat, um, you know, some of the foods that will help would be eating fish with high in omega-3. Um, it helps uh, a ton to lose, you know, to lower some of the cholesterol. If you do that at least two times a week, that's great. Foods and high fiber, such as uh, grains, whole grains, beans, apples, uh, broccoli, also help in that situation. Um, you know, of course, we need to avoid processed foods, foods that are fried, um, you know, anything with added sugar as well. Um, another little thing that I like to tell people is try to meal plan. And I'm not talking about meal planning because that's a complicated thing, but just as far as what you're putting on your plate. So, you know, I like to say divide it up into fourths. So you basically say a fourth of your plate should be um, whole grains. The other fourth should be the low, um, low fat uh, proteins. And then the rest of it should be all vegetables. So if you look at meal planning that way, it's kind of a little bit easier um, to, to, to have a concept of being able to lower cholesterol that way. That's a great response. And I love the way you approached it towards eating the healthier foods, the less processed, refined foods, which is really what we were meant to eat. You know, um, about, we didn't evolve eating, you know, uh, um, um, cookies and crackers and things like that. Um, speak a little bit about also, as, um, um, uh, as Liana mentioned, about the medications, where obviously we want a lot of people to be able to control their cholesterol to decrease their risk of cardiovascular disease, that's the concern, heart attacks and strokes, uh, without the need for medications. But if someone's prescribed a cholesterol-lowering medication, you know, what recommendations would you have towards uh, making sure they take those medications? Yeah, I mean, it kind of piggybacks back off of both what Mike and, and Leanna said. It's, it's, if you're prescribed it, you're prescribed medication for a reason. And, and we just really want our patients to understand that, that it's important to take it and to take it on a regular basis because it's there to help and it does help. That's great. Um, Can I interject? Oh, I'm sorry. Please, I just wanted of course, to say, no, yeah. please. This is, so this is I was going to say, and it's sort of piggybacks on both, uh, both of them said, you know, obviously if you don't take your medication, it's not going to work. Uh, but if you do take your medication, it will work but you can't stop taking it because it works. <laughs> I've had a right. million patients right. who come to me and said, but my blood pressure is normal now. I don't have to take it anymore. I'm like, it's normal because you're taking your blood pressure medicine. Uh, likewise with the cholesterol. So, you know, I think it's really important to talk to your doctor if your blood pressure has been normal for a long time. Maybe you can discuss other alternatives, but to continue taking your med, you know, your blood pressure, even if your blood pressure is controlled and the cholesterol is controlled. So I, I love that. I tell patients when you put all the aspects of where you are in a blender, your age, your gender, your right. weight, your exercise, your diet, it comes out. You're hypertensive. We control it with the medications. We don't cure it. If you change something major in your lifestyle for the better, maybe, but because it's controlled doesn't mean you stop the medication. So well said. Right. Um, next questions for Mike. Um, we're stuck into a couple of COVID questions. Um, I actually had this 
text twice this morning from two different patients. Um, as the height of the pandemic subsiding, many questions are related to COVID-19, like we said. Do, I, do patients need to get a booster if they've got the COVID vaccine already? You know, it's a very understandable question because uh, every night when we watch the news, there's something on there about the vaccine. There's something on there about booster shots. And so um, it's very rapidly changing. But I think what's prudent for us to do today is talk about what we know on September 9th and uh, recognize that uh, what we know next week or, or next month might change a little bit. But in healthcare in general, when it comes to medications, we follow the guidance of the Food and Drug Administration. And in an issue like with COVID, we also follow the guidance of the CDC, Center for Disease Control. So that being said, currently for the general public or population, there is no uh, recommendation for a booster uh, shot. Now, that's rapidly changing, and we do expect to get more guidance on that in the days to come. But for the general population, as of today, September 9th, no recommendation for a booster. That said, what we would call a third dose of, of the Pfizer or the Moderna vaccine has been recommended for those who are uh, immunocompromised, those who have a weakened immune system. You might be someone that has a weakened immune system if you're a transplant patient and you received the transplant years back or recently, maybe you're actively receiving cancer treatment. There are other uh, diseases that could cause you to have a weakened immune system. So for those patients, a third dose of that vaccine is recommended because they're at particular susceptibility to get COVID and then to have kind of a bad outcome with COVID. And so um, if you're not sure if you have a weakened immune system or not, and therefore should get that third dose or not, particularly of the Pfizer or Moderna vaccine, you should definitely talk with your doctor. Um, I think it's important too that uh, you, you stay in touch with Baptist Health South Florida because this information is ever changing. But I think you could think of us as a trusted source for information. So when there's more information to come out about whether uh, you need to have a booster shot of the vaccine, uh, we'll be sure to let the public know. Mike, a follow-up to that, which is another question um, I think we all get fairly frequently. If someone um, uh, got the COVID-19 vaccine, should they get the flu vaccine? Well, the short answer is yes. Um, the short answer to that question, yes. And, and this is a confusing one too, because um, sometimes when people have COVID, they say it's like, feel like they have a bad flu. You know, and so then they can get mixed up. These are two different diseases caused by two different viruses. They may cause your body to have similar symptoms, but because they're caused by two different viruses, uh, they have two separate vaccines. And uh, it's very important as we go into flu season here, we've started and we're going to get into the, the you know, deeper part of flu season as we get into the winter uh, and late fall. It's very important that uh, all eligible people get the flu vaccine also, even if they have already had the COVID vaccine. Um, and there's a lot of information that's emerging about that. But I think it's important to remember if you're eligible for the flu vaccine, especially even pregnant women, go ahead and get the flu vaccine this year. And remember, it's not just about protecting yourself, but getting the flu shot is also about protecting you from being able to spread it to loved ones, or other vulnerable members of our, our community. I mean, imagine if someone got the flu and COVID at the same time, that could be really detrimental to them. So uh, vaccination is, is one of the best tools that we have to help prevent that. 
So we talked about some cardiovascular prevention. We talked about COVID. Um, switch gears again, and we're going to bring this one to Katie. Um, and again, these are the, the most commonly searched medical questions. Um, and this one's about kidney stones. Can you talk a little bit about kidney stones, um, Katie? What causes them? What can people do to prevent them? What should people yeah. be on? What should people be on alert for? Sure. Yeah. So I've never had a kidney stone, but having family members that have a kidney stones, um, it, it is. It's a very um, painful, painful process that occurs. So um, kind of go back to the idea of diet again. So believe it or not, uh, a lot of the stones that we create are due to our diet. Um, you know, there are four types of stone, stones we can create, but the most common is a calcium stone that once again um, has to do a lot with diet and something else called a uric acid stone. So um, some, some tips, we want to hydrate. If we hydrate correctly, um, our kidneys will function correctly. Uh, when we do not hydrate correctly, if they're just not going to function and then it can perpetuate these stones. Um, also salt, too much salt, just like it affects our blood pressure, it affects our kidneys. So we have to be careful with that salt intake and also too much protein as well. We don't wanna to have too much protein or even sugar in our diet. All that affects our kidneys tremendously. So, um, you know, certain things we can't help is once again, uh, family members that have it, we are predisposed. Um, but, you know, as far as if you've had a kidney stone in the past, you're also predisposed to having it again. Um, but, you know, the diet is something that we can, we can help. Do most kidney stones require a patient to present to an urgent care or a hospital for hydration and pain care, pain therapy? Or would you say a lot just, you know, go away at home? Um, so believe it or not, there's many of us that have had stones and never even known we've had stones. Uh, we can pass stones pretty easily as long as they're small enough. The problem is, is when they become too large, they can't pass on their own. So um, that's when we have to go to the hospital. It's that excruciating pain um, that would require us to get some hydration, to get some pain medication. But, um, you know, when, when we're experiencing pain, we are, our first bet is to run to an emergency room. Um, but, you know, it's just one of those things where you have to know your pain tolerance um, and, and basically base it on that. But um, running to the urgent care emergency room is not always necessary. Thanks. Um, um, switch it over to Liana. Um, and again, this is the search questions. Um, alcohol consumption. <laughs> we know has increased significantly as people have spent a lot of time at home. And we've done various uh, public service educations about uh, the concerns about alcohol consumption through COVID. But the question is, how long does alcohol stay in one's system? So alcohol metabolism will vary by person as always. There's, you know, a littler person will metabolize it um, more quickly than uh, somebody who might be a bigger body habitus. But generally alcohol stays in your system between six and 12 hours. Um, and that depends also on the quantity you drink and the type of alcohol you drink. Like it gets metabolized at a different rate. So for example, if you had, you know, three beers, they have a, a, a general that it takes five half-lives of alcohol to get out of your system. And a half-life is about five hours. So that's like a total of about 25 hours. Um, but again, it has to do with the alcohol content in what you're drinking. Like a beer might go faster than a hard alcohol because there's more alcohol in the shot of whiskey than there is in a beer of like a 12 ounce beer. Uh, Mike, going back to you on a COVID-19 question, something actually I wasn't even aware of and I always love learning from guests during these uh, resource lives. Um, so the COVID-19 vaccine apparently can cause some temporary enlargement of lymph nodes 
And apparently these can show up on mammograms. So speak a little bit where we think right now that if someone has the COVID-19 vaccine, is there a recommendation to the timing of not getting a mammogram too soon because it may show some findings not related uh, or, or you know related to the vaccine that we uh, otherwise wouldn't be able to differentiate? Yeah, and let, let's be clear. Both of these are extremely important and should not be uh, in general delayed. If, it's, if you're due for a screening mammogram, you need to get that done. If you, uh, the COVID vaccine is one of the single greatest uh, things that we can do for our healthcare right now in September of 2021, if we haven't already done it. That said, um, when the two come together, we just have to keep this in mind. Um, because it can cause a, a, a larger lymph node, and particularly uh, we call it the axillary lymph node, uh, that could show up as a false positive on your mammogram and then cause you know, needless uh, concern and next steps. So the recommendation today is this, get your mammogram before the COVID vaccine or wait four to six weeks after your COVID vaccine uh, series is complete and then go ahead and get the mammogram. So it's fair to say the lymph node enlargement related to the vaccine is expected. That's normal. That's your body's reacting to the vaccine. Um, it's more of a timing of the mammogram. And certainly we know there's a lot of uh, delays in getting appropriate medical care and screenings through this COVID pandemic. So your points are well taken, which is to get your mammogram and get the vaccine, just time them appropriately based on that recommendation. Um, Katie, um, question uh, about uh, sexually transmitted disease. What's HPV? A lot of HPV in the news, vaccines, kids, et cetera. Speak a little bit about HPV. This seems to be a highly searched question uh, on the internet. Sure, so HPV is something called the human papillomavirus. It's passed easily from um, person to person through sexual contact. So it actually is the most common um, sexually transmitted infection. Uh, there's a lot of types of it. Um, some can cause warts and lesions in the genital area. Some can even cause cancer. Um, and the crazy part is most people who are infected with HPV don't have symptoms. Um, you can have it for a long time, not even know. You can even spread it without knowing it. Um, so one of the key things here is if you're a woman, have regular pap tests. Uh, these pap tests can help identify changes in cells that lead to cancer. Uh, you wanna talk to your GYN about how often you need these tests. Um, currently there's no approved test for HPV in men, um, but there is HPV vaccine that can really help prevent some HPV infections and even related cancers, which is amazing. You know, So really wanna speak with your healthcare provider to see if you're a candidate for that vaccine. Um, thank you. Um, mm -hmm. To uh, Liana, um, we all have heard about the freshman 15, which has to do with weight gain when, <laughs> when people start college. But now we have the quarantine 15, which uh, we're certainly seeing as medical providers. A lot of people are home, a lot of people change their lifestyles. Right. They've gained weight through COVID. Um, you know, what, what are you recommending to your patients regarding uh, both recognizing this and, and um, uh, getting back to a healthy weight if they've, if they've gained some weight? What, again, similar, you're getting all the tough questions with all the variables, but. Uh, no, that's okay. What, what, what are that's you actually okay. saying and saying, yeah. I, I actually thought it was the quarantine 19. They were trying to, you know, match it up with the COVID 19. Uh, it's very hard, it's very challenging to maintain a healthy lifestyle when the normal things that you have access to, you no longer have access to. You know, I was, I, we just moved down from the Northeast and up there, there was nowhere to exercise. You couldn't go outdoors. I mean, it was really particularly challenging. Uh, here in South Florida, obviously people were a little bit luckier, but food was the biggest impediment to, you know, maintaining a healthy weight. So 
you know, how many calories and whatnot a person should eat, again, is very variable uh, based on your age and your sex and the weight that you're starting at. So just as an example, um, you know, people, women between uh, 30s and 50s uh, who are, you know, lightly active, let's say, should be eating between 1200 and 1500 calories a day. But if you're more active, that number will go up. With men, their baseline uh, caloric needs are higher than women. Or if you're highly active, your baseline caloric needs are higher. So you have to adjust it accordingly. So basically there are ways you can figure, there, there are actual calculations where you can figure out what your basic uh, caloric needs are. And in order to lose weight, you wanna do about 500 less than that. So. That's sort of like a, a roundabout way of figuring it out. Mike, a um, couple of quick hits in the, in the last few minutes we have. Does COVID-19 vaccine affect fertility? I, I think that's a very good question and not surprising that it's one of the most uh, searched questions because um, we know that that has been one of the things that has led to some vaccine hesitancy among our younger population. But think about this, through August in the United States, there have been 369 million doses of this vaccine administered. So with that kind of volume, we have a really good idea of its safety and its efficacy. So regarding its impact on fertility, the answer is no. Uh, there's no evidence with all those doses given, there's no evidence uh, that COVID-19 vaccines impact either the menstrual cycle or fertility. And those who are trying to become pregnant or, or concerned about that in the future don't need to avoid pregnancy at all after they've received the COVID-19 vaccine. And um, in follow up to that, and I think that's well said, 369 million doses have been given. That's a large cohort of people to get knowledge from. Um, if someone's had COVID, are we recommending they get vaccinated? Yes, uh, that's the short answer. If you've had COVID, uh, you know, um, let, take some time to let your current active symptoms uh, resolve and that at a convenient time after that it will be appropriate to be vaccinated. Right. We don't know how, how strong your immune response is and how long it lasts. So the vaccine we know does, does work. Um, let me throw this at Katie. Um, it has urinary tract infections. Can you tell us a little bit about the common symptoms of a urinary tract infection and when someone should seek professional help? for example, in, in, in urgent care? Of course, yeah. So urinary tract infection is one of the most common complaints walking into the urgent care. Um, it's usually just you you feel like you have to go more. Um, it might actually burn when you pee. You, you feel um, sometimes even hesitancy when you pee. So you, you really do notice that something is, is wrong. Um, but the most common is that it, there is a lot of pain. Um, so, you know, coming to an urgent care is very easy. We, we run your urine real quick and, and check it out. And if you need an antibiotic, we can, we can prescribe it. Um, it's no need to ever run to an emergency room with those symptoms unless you have a crazy high fever um, or severe abdominal pain. But besides that, urinary tract infection, very simple to take care of. And if you have those symptoms, you should get checked out. Um, and again, very commonly searched because it's very commonly occurring um, a medical condition. Um, Katie, last question for you. Um, we'll, we'll give you the, uh, the soapbox. Um, um, tell us the difference between symptoms, if there are any, between flu and COVID. Ah, that's a tough one. That's a tough one. But I mean, uh, coming in and out of the urgent care, you know, patients come in actually writing they have flu-like symptoms. 
Um, and, you know, right now, you know, the flu is not as you know, prevalent, it's not the time of year, you can say, um, but both of them present very similar. But one of the ones that we noticed that a lot of patients complain about is the loss of taste and smell. That is still a, a huge one that's very strange to have with a lot of other viruses. So when someone complains of that, um, you know, their test seems to be positive more than negative. Um, but you know, a lot of the fever, um, cough, sore throat, pretty much all of the same symptoms. So it's hard to differentiate. That's why getting tested is so important um, when you have those symptoms. As we wrap up this episode, I'd like to encourage all our listeners to please take a moment to give this podcast a five-star rating on whichever platform you listen to us on. We'd love to hear your comments and suggestions for future topics. You can email us at baptisthealthtalk at baptisthealth.net. That's baptisthealthtalk at baptisthealth.net. Thanks for listening and stay safe. Find additional valuable health and wellness information on our resource blog at baptisthealth.net slash news. And be sure to interact with us on our social media channels for live and upcoming events. This podcast is brought to you by Baptist Health South Florida, healthcare that cares.